Hello, I'm your host, Gillian Semler. You're listening to Let's Talk, brought to you by Citilets and Arla Property Mart Scotland. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show for the world of property letting, investment, legislation, personal stories and much more. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's Talk at citilets.co.uk. Today, my guest is Lewis Mallon, Business Development Manager at Northwood Edinburgh. Morning, Lewis. Good morning. Now, how long have you been with Northwood and tell us about your position there? I joined the company in February 2020 um, and the position was created uh, new at that time for the business to expand. Um, so I deal with any inquiries coming into the business, either on a sales uh, basis or for property management. Um, and also it's myself that uh, drives the business forward in terms of marketing um, and what different uh, options we look at on that side of things. So, yeah, new for the business um, and uh, a new role for me back in Edinburgh after my time away. Great. Well, Northwood are UK wide and uh, letting in the state agents with over 90 branches. So what makes Northwood unique? Yeah, Northwood's unique selling point, really, the main one is the guaranteed rent option that we have. Um, that's been there since the company was created, so been running for uh, 20, 30 years now. Um, it's different to insurance policies that you've seen come into play since uh, COVID. Um, we are effectively the tenant of the property and we pay the rent directly uh, to the owner. Um, so that's what the business has been built on historically um, and been the main USP uh, for it. Each, although it's a franchise, each branch is independently run. So what works in Birmingham or Aberdeen doesn't necessarily work in Edinburgh. So yeah. there's still autonomy within the franchise structure um, to run as we see fit that will play well in the Edinburgh market. So we've got the flexibility there as well. But um, yeah, certainly the guaranteed rent is the is the main USP that it, that it's been built on. The name's known for. Well, with with regard to the scheme, you know, what other reasons would a landlord choose? You know, apart from the obvious, we choose to opt for the rent guarantee scheme. Yeah, so I mean, the, the main one is obviously the, the guaranteed rent, no void periods and, and paid every month, regardless of what's actually happening in the property. Um, but there's extra benefits, uh, such as we cover legal costs. Um, if a, a tenant needs to to be taken to court for recover of um, rental, um, and also we guarantee the internal condition of the property as well uh, to two months rent equivalent. Right. So when you add all that in with the the guaranteed income, um, it's it's very popular for, for owners, particularly um, in the last few years with the 28-day notice period having come into play up here in Scotland. Um, yeah, the, t the turnarounds can be a lot more frequent. So even if you get back-to-back -back tenants in, in a property, you're still looking at a void period of three, four, five days to do the, you know, the inventory cleaning, turning it around. So um, even if the property does run smoothly, that you'll still have void periods, albeit small. Um, so yeah, it's it's very popular at the moment. And it must have been a great benefit to some landlords during the pandemic as well. Yeah, that was massive actually. So last March, we had a large number of properties uh, have notice served on them overnight really, um, international students. Um, 
a lot of people that worked at, say, the universities or, or on PhDs um, and foreign nationals that wanted to be in their own country, scared of, of lockdowns and, and border closures. So um, we paid every single landlord every single month the, the guaranteed rent, even though we were sitting with them vacant for large chunks between, say, March and uh, August before things really started opening up. So. Yeah, that's exactly what it, what it's there for, um, and we're really proud to have to have stuck with that in such a trying time for people, um, and been able to continue making payments uh, to every owner on with us. So yeah, it was a, a difficult time for everyone, but uh, yeah, no, we got through it. Indeed, good. Well, Northwood Sales also includes investment properties. So tell us a bit more about the investment side of the business and how Northwood can assist investors to develop the property portfolio. Yeah, no problem. So on the property management side, we manage over 500 properties in the city now. Um, with a portfolio of that size, in any given month, we might have two or three owners looking to sell a property. Um, so what we do tend to get is properties coming on either with a sitting tenant or that has at the very least all the compliance in place and we know the track history of the property mm -hmm. for the last anything from well, one to ten years typically um, we've looked after the property so um, when investors come to us looking for options uh, we're more than happy to advise on ones they might see online with, with any selling agent um, but also if there is uh, a property that suits, we can give them real figures um, that they can base their calculations on, whether it be the, the factoring fees or the exact rent that's been achieved, the maintenance issues that have cropped up when roof repairs have been done. So it takes an extra level of uncertainty out of the decision making. So yeah, it's been very popular uh, and we're, we're keen to, to expand that as well. And I think it'll only continue to expand with the portfolio growing. Um, there is a natural sort of uh, turnaround of properties with owners' personal situations changing. So it's something we're, we're getting uh, stronger on. Um, and this year has been really positive on the sales side for us. Uh, so it's something we're keen to, to, to push on further. Uh, typically, our investment properties range from between, say, 140,000 up to around 300,000 right. is the main uh, section of the market that we deal with on a regular basis. So, yeah, no, we're always happy to help though if anyone sees any properties. We, we like to give advice. We know if we don't have one in the street mm -hmm. or that development, we'll know or manage ourselves probably one or two close by so we can give very specific data to, to owners looking and, yeah, we're, we're always happy to help on that side of things. Ideal. Well, I mean, this isn't your first experience in property investment. Prior to your current position with Northwood, you worked for Allsop and Allsop in Dubai. But before we touch on the Dubai property market, what led you to make a career move to the United Arab Emirates? Yeah, that was quite a big uh, change work-wise, but uh, it really came about, it was we'd been in Edinburgh for 10 years um, through university and working. Um, and it was really at the point where I felt if I didn't do it or move away then, uh, I might never get the chance to, um, because I knew I would always come back to Edinburgh. Um, so it was just timing really. Um, and the opportunity came up with my partner to go across. Uh, so yeah, we went across on holiday first, saw the place and loved it, and then thought, how can we get jobs over there <laughs> to let us live there? Yeah. So we went back again for a second trip. Um, had some job interviews and then moved in the, the August. So from going out the very first time, that was November, 
um, we were out sort of nine months later. Right, um, okay. But yeah, so that, that was what, it was a lifestyle change that drove that uh, move really. Well, um, I mean, Dubai, you know, has been known for a long time by investors for, you know, it's tax-free income, it's competitive prices and rental yields. So what level of rental yields can investors expect from the city compared to, say, London or Edinburgh? Yeah, in Dubai, most investors wouldn't really look at anything below 8% as, as a sort of gross yield, as a rough yeah. barometer. The vast majority wouldn't look at anything below 10. And that's achievable. Um, certainly was when I was there quite comfortably in the main areas in Dubai. Um, there's more established areas, although even the established areas have only been there a decade. Oh, <laughs> so right. it was a constantly changing uh, uh, landscape yeah. um, out there and what's very popular out there is off-plan sales so I actually worked in the sales side for developers um, different to the, to the UK in the sense that when something was launched it would be typically four or five years until it was completed um, ground wouldn't have been broken on the the land you really were going and choosing something off a floor plan and right. some CGI's it was there was no, there was less guarantee that it would follow the, the construction plan um, compared to the UK. So, but that was people going for capital growth. Um, and again, that was extremely popular uh, over there just with the demand. Yeah. It's really, Dubai's really trying to catch up with itself with the sort of name and international recognition it's got now. Um, so yeah, a huge amount of off plan properties being sold. But on the rental side, if you wanted something, yeah, it'd be 10%. Compare that to Edinburgh, really at best, you're looking between five and 7%. Um, still in the city centre, but maybe not in your, your sort of prime areas, if you like, Stockbridge, Newtown, you know, there you'd be more three, 4%, yeah, um, yeah. if I that. Have, and yeah, then, yeah, London, mm -hmm. yeah, London lower again, Three, four percent, I think, would be where you're topping out in London, uh, depending where you'd be, possibly down towards one to two. And that's just that's gross yield. Um, your net yield would then come down from that. So yeah, quite quite different. Um, but there was there was more risk in Dubai. Um, yeah. You know, sort of fledging fledgling uh, city. Um, so yeah, people people took that on. But so well, we'll kind of going back to you know obviously being quite a different market. What, what kind of valuable skills have you been able to apply in your current role then that you, you know, from your experience in Dubai? Yeah, Dubai work-wise was very difficult, hard work. Um, there was no such thing as exclusive listings when I first moved to Dubai. So that meant if a, an owner was looking to rent their property or sell it, um, they could have it listed with between typically seven and 10 different agencies, um, which meant that really you had to outwork <laughs> the other agents that were on the property or had access to it. Um, so really also combined that with it was a commission only job, no basic pay. Mm -hmm. If you didn't dedicate yourself to it, and be able to win the business and, and, and see the deal through, because getting listings was one thing, but also actually getting deals completed over the line when there's so many competing parties That's all giving tough. different advice at different points um, is very difficult. So I think that in a sort of business development perspective uh, sets you up very well for coming back to, <laughs> to Edinburgh where it's a, a bit more controlled, I think, um, is probably the best word uh, for it. 
but uh, yeah, hard work is, is really what, what saw you through uh, in Dubai. There was no way to, to chance it or, or get lucky. It yeah. really was um, every day you had to go in and, and work very diligently um, and be patient as well mm -hmm. because it's, it was commission only and not everything happened at once or happened quickly. So you needed patience and a level head to, to see it through. If you, if you tried to force things, it, it didn't tend to, to work. So, yeah. Well, just moving back to, you know, you were touching on kind of obviously come back and it being a very different market over here. So with regard to like the Edinburgh and, and the Scottish PRS, I mean, September marked the 25th anniversary of the launch of Vitalet Mortgages in the UK. So how, in your view, has Vitalet Finance helped to transform, say, the, the Scottish PRS? Yeah, I don't think it's limited to the Scottish PRS, but certainly the UK as a whole, it really exploded the market sector um, and really gave accessibility to a huge amount of people that otherwise wouldn't necessarily be able to invest in the asset class. Um, I think now it's believed there's almost three million landlords in the UK as a whole, which as a proportion of, of population is, is extremely large. Um, I would assume the vast majority of, of those people wouldn't be able to have got into that sector um, had buy-to-let finance not been there as we know it today. Um, it gives people access uh, to another option for their pension. I think around 30% of landlords uh, see property as their sole pension plan. So again, it's, it's opened up people's eyes to a different option for, for their own future um, and retirement. So yeah, without the, the changes in the finance model, a lot of that wouldn't have been possible. I think also with bringing in a, such a huge number of new landlords to the market, it has made it more transparent and more competitive. And I think that along with increased sort of regulation of letting agents, um, landlord register, all these sorts of things for owners, it has meant that the quality of properties in the, in the PRS has increased significantly. Um, over the time, and it's certainly what we've seen, what I've seen personally and and professionally. It's you know the the standard now is, on average, I think, uh, light years ahead of what it was, ten, yeah. fifteen years ago. <laughs> and I think it's all these things combining together to to, to weed out sort of rogue landlords, if you like, or people yeah. not willing to to put the money into their properties. Um, and it's for the betterment of the whole sector, really. So. Yeah, a huge, huge impact, and it will continue to have a huge impact uh, for as long as it's uh, available. Particularly nowadays, where your your buy-to-let rates, uh, interest rates are three percent, sub three percent. You know, compared to historical rates, it's so low. Mm -hmm. It's you know, there's never been a, a a cheaper time in a sense to to get into the sector. Nice. Yeah. So, would you say there's strong confidence in the Edinburgh buy-to-let market despite you know the effects of the pandemic? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say actually even more so if you take into account the Airbnb side of things. Um, I think pre-pandemic there was around 14,000 uh, Airbnbs in the city. Um, that's about half now. And from last March we saw a huge amount of owners coming across to us uh, that had been running Airbnb for many years um, looking to, to move back to long-term rent. So I think um, people recognise that having the stability of income, um, along with the buoyant rental uh, 
rates we've got at the moment uh, is still very appealing um, to Do them. Do you think they'll still continue in long-term rental after you know, the pandemic's you know, really through? You think they'll not jump back to short-term? Yeah, I think it's. I think it will continue. Um, there will be some that go back. Yeah. We've not had that uh, as yet. Um, any that came on board with us are still with us. So even though things have opened up now, um, international travels, uh, you know, be coming back to a degree, we've not seen people be jumping back in. Um, I used to run my own holiday cottages in the borders, and really, I think you need a certain occupancy level per year to make holiday rentals work um, and I think we'll, we'll be probably a good few years off the demand being there on a, on a sort of basis all year round not just festival and, and new year um, before it starts to make sense again particularly if the the long-term rentals stay stay buoyant as they as they are but yeah, so with, with the demand it's giving such a I guess sense of security to to landlords who are in long-term Yeah, so I think that's made a, a, a difference and, and people are still seeing that as a viable option. Um, but also new people coming to the, the sector, you know, we're, we're sort of constantly speaking to people that are purchasing their first home. And again, back to the investment side, that is what we see a lot of on a weekly basis, people looking to get into it as an alternative to either having their money in the bank um, with interest rates, savings rates being so low, um, or one eye on the, the future for retirement. So the interest in the UK, I think overall, is still there. We're a home-owning so nation. So you're not seeing the kind of secondary homes tax affecting people too much then? That's not put... No, the 4% um, additional dwelling supplement. No, we've, we've not noticed that. I think people, when it first came in, were, were put off. Um, but now I think the figures that they go to, to either bid on the property or when they're doing their, their numbers up front, they're just taking that in as another cost, similar to solicitor's fees or you know, uh, mortgage fees. So I think when people are coming to make the, the bid, uh, they're already factoring that in. So although it's an extra cost, um, I think it, it's not dampened the, the anyone's spirits. There's still a, a, a lot of interest in it. Right. Well, at the start of the pandemic, Edinburgh experienced oversupply and now there's been a kind of switch in supply, demand and balance. So in your view, what are the reasons for this and which type of properties have suffered most? Yeah, I think the... The oversupply certainly was with the vast majority of people leaving swiftly um, when when lockdowns were announced. Edinburgh having so many international uh, either students uh, and residents um, being such a hub for that uh, meant a lot left uh, overnight. Um, also with the sort of finance and legal sectors, a lot of homes here were rented by people that may have split their time between London or elsewhere and Edinburgh so they'd only be using the property three four days a week possibly those leases were also relinquished very swiftly so I think it was a multitude of factors and then the students also yeah. being out of town and then there'd be short-term lets coming back on with long-term lets yeah so that was the that was the the excess supply that was there um, it has reversed now and again, that's a multitude of factors. The students in, in the last two, three months was a, was a massive uh, influx of people looking to take properties. And I think it, it coincided with uh, more 
workers coming back to the city. Maybe they're back to their offices now, or indeed their jobs are back off furlough. Um, hospitality industry opening back up. We saw there was a delay in that. So I think that everything started opening up in May. There wasn't really a big influx then, but um, by the time we reached sort of July, early August, there was a lot of people coming back. So I think, again, everything's happened at once um, to now create a situation where there's not enough supply um, by a considerable way. Um, but yeah, interesting time, and I think it's typically this would be the quieter time of year yeah. we're coming into. Um, I don't think there's any roadmap for that this year, mm -hmm. um, and how that'll play out over the next two or three months, I think, is is, is going to be interesting to, to see. Well, from the City Let's Quarter 3 data, it's evident the City has recovered as a whole from the effects of the pandemic and a drop in rents, with a 1.6% year-in-year rent increase and an all-time high of 1,157 average rent. However, looking at it in a more granular level, the three beds in particular fared well with a 5.8% year-in-year increase, whilst the one in two beds recorded slight negative growth year-in-year -year in rents. However, this is an improvement on quarter two. Is this your experience? You know, tell us a bit more detail about the recent rental trends that you've noticed. Yeah, so I think across the board, going back to when there was an oversupply, it wasn't one particular property type that fared worse than that situation. That was really people's personal circumstances across the board changing. So one, two, three bed, houses, flats, it didn't make too much of a difference. If people found themselves in a situation where they couldn't or didn't want to be in Edinburgh or Scotland, um, that, that was the driving force. It wasn't necessarily property specific. The recovery side of things has been, as you say, split out slightly. Uh, larger properties um, or anything with outside space, um, a patio, a terrace, a garden, balcony, um, have fared very well and were the quickest to bounce back. So I think that when you look at the threes, three beds plus um, in the city, the demand switch from people that were in apartments in town uh, to looking for that outside space has been phenomenal. So it's no surprise really to see it at 5.8%. And to be honest, I, I would expect it will still increase over the next uh, quarter or two. Um, the one in two beds, I think that was just a product of the cities being mostly in lockdown. Um, it has been slower for people to come back and take the, the those types of properties, but running up to, to the end of Q3, that may have been the case with it still taking in um, the earlier months of summer. Um, but I think now looking forward to, to Q4, um, I'd be very surprised if all of these don't still show a, a larger increase again, significant increase across the board. Um, at, at the moment, the the demand across all property types is is extremely high, and uh, this is leading to to increased rents. So, um, yeah, sort of a two two stage uh, yeah. process um, to all. Well, many letting agents have reported to us about the the recent unprecedented demand, which resulted in significantly shorter time to let. In fact, down sixteen days on average in quarter three when compared to the same quarter last year. In your experience, what type of properties and in which areas have rented the fastest? Yes, yeah, so I think again, similar to previous question, that that Q3 data I think will be 
very skewed by the first couple of months in, in that time period. I think if you look at just the, the last month of, of September, it will be different and the trend will continue. That, that time will come down from 16 days, uh, absolutely. Um, we are looking at renting properties within a day or two um, in the main. There's very few that don't rent within a week. Mm. Um, and I think the Q4 data again yeah. will show a more clear picture of that um, with everything having picked up. Um, in terms of types of properties that are renting, there's no difference. Um, we've rented one bed muse houses, three bed flats, four bed houses. It really doesn't make a, a difference at the moment where it is or what it is. There's just such a lack of supply that um, people are keen to secure a home, um, which is leading to a huge amount of inquiries on each property, um, leading to viewings and, and several applications for, for each property we, we have online. So yeah, I think whilst that, that shows um, part of the picture in Q3, I think the really interesting thing will be once we see the Q4 yeah. data, how that's accelerated through um, now. But uh, yeah, at, at the moment, it's across the board, um, extremely busy. And that's what we've seen, yeah. Good to hear your, your views and your experiences. But ending the podcast on a very different note, on a slightly more spirited level, that <laughs> being too cheesy, I heard you started a gym company last year. Yeah, so <laughs> I launched uh, Farmhouse Gin last July. Mm -hmm. um, it had been a plan or an idea, certainly, mm -hmm. for... I meant to ask you to bring in some samples, I but I forgot that. That'll have to be <laughs> It's too early time. in the morning. Yeah, we'll get yeah. you back in um, very soon. Yeah, it'd been an idea for a long time, sort of eight, eight nine years. Never got round to it, and then when uh, moved back from Dubai, I was sort of politely told either do it or stop talking about doing it. So how so, did you go about starting your own gym company? Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work. It's, mm -hmm. It was... Uh, they always say the hardest things are you don't know what you don't know. And yeah. uh, I found that out quite quickly last year. Um, but no, really happy with it. It's based, um, farmhouse comes from uh, the family farm right, um, okay. in the borders. Whereabouts in the borders? Uh, just outside Melrose. Right, okay. So um, the long term plan ideally would be to have a, a tasting room and small distillery on the mm -hmm. farm, but I think that's about. 500 steps down the line. Yeah. But, uh, and how do you find the time out with kind of Northwood? Yeah, it's uh, difficult weekends and, and nights really. Um, but it's ex exciting, yeah. Something and the whole very family different. involved then? Yeah, a few of us uh, involved mm -hmm. um, to bring it together. But no, it's, it's something that we'd wa I'd wanted to do for a long time. Um, and yeah, something proud of so far so we'll, we'll see how it goes over the next absolutely few years you have to enter the gin up. awards um, i believe it's the same company that run the home awards and well, the property awards into, yeah I'm, I, we're actually shortlisted for london dry gin of the year Gosh, so dude. the award ceremony is in uh, a few weeks time i think um, so yeah, we were actually shortlisted last year as well. So that's good considering you yeah, just started it's, it's last good, year. Yeah, yeah, it's good to get out. So no, we'll bring some in for you. But uh, it's, it's exciting. We're trying to bring um, flavours from the Middle East oh. and mixing that with the sort of Scottish excellence in uh, drink making. So um, yeah, it's a really sort of personal project, if you like, um, with influence from home and ab abroad yeah, for us yeah. Um, and yeah no it's been going really well and some wonderful conversations with people and you meet so many different people uh, 
in that world. Um, so yeah, it's all just a bit of an adventure really um, with it, and we'll we'll see where it goes. But yeah, at Excellent. worst we've got a lot of gin to drink. Well, well we can help with that. <laughs> so, yeah, we can help with that. There's no any trouble there. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, it's been great. Thank you for coming on. No problem at all. Nice to speak to you. I'm Gillian Semler. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to the Let's Talk channel on all the usual platforms, including Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud, as well as on citylets.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And also let your friends know where to find us. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show providing insight into the world of property letting. More information on today's show can always be found on our show notes along with this podcast. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's talk at citylets.co.uk. Thank you.